Well, good morning, Flatland Bible Church. It's so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day, worshiping with the Lord's people. If you have your copy of God's Word, we will be in the book of Romans today. If you want to turn with me there, our text will be in chapter 1. It will be in verses 16 and 17 this morning. That's chapter 1 of the book of Romans, verses 16 and 17. If you're taking notes uh, this morning, the title of our sermon today is Unashamed Testimony. Last week, we took a glimpse into the text that proceeds this one in Paul's letter to the Romans and God's wrath on unrighteousness. As Pastor Matt walked us through Romans 18 a bit, an unbelief and consequence as it pertains to sexual ethics and a biblical view of that. And it's interesting that Paul writes this small, this very small, but extremely powerful text in his letter after his introduction to the church in Rome. As Paul explains in his introduction, he makes mention of faith of the believers in verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention to you always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. And in verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even among the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greek and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul has stated his case to the church in Rome. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Or in other words, guys, I really want you to know this. This is on the front of my thoughts. I am thinking about these things. I'm not trying to back down from coming to preach the gospel to you. I'm not backing down. I'm not intimidated about coming to the pagan capital of the world at that time, Rome. You really need to understand this. I have been prevented thus far. Why, he tells us in the very first sentence of his epistle, Paul, a bondservant, doulos, slave, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul understands clearly that he is under obligation by God through Jesus Christ to be set apart for the gospel message of God's power, salvation, faith, and righteousness. He says, I am under the obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. This obligation sounds like it's to everyone. There is no discrimination. This word obligation in the Greek means to be a debtor. It means to owe someone else money or to owe someone else something, to be indebted to someone. 
real quickly at my job, we often are too busy uh, on the sales floor to warrant ourselves time to eat, or so we say that. And when we do eat, we get into this bad habit of ordering food often and just eating it quickly. And it's always different as to who's tasked with doing this so-called food run or ordering the food or worse yet, uh, ordering it through DoorDash or Uber Eats because it's a million dollars. When it's someone else's turn other than mine, I'm quick to, at, to ask that person, whoever it is that, that's tasked with that, how much do I owe you? How much did my meal cost? I quickly get on my Apple Pay or Cash App or whatever sort of technology and, and instantly send money to which I owe that person, or at least I try to. Because why? I absolutely despise the thought of owing someone money, that I'm indebted to somebody. I, I, I personally just don't like that. And I don't know about you if you feel that strongly as I do and hate that feeling when you feel indebted to someone that you might owe them uh, money or a favor or you've told them, you've promised them something and it's just hanging over your head and you just want to uh, take care of it quickly. You want to pay this person back as soon as possible because you don't want to have that weight over you. You don't want to feel that way. You don't want to, you want to make it right. You want to take care of your business, of your debts of your promises, of your obligation. Well, this is similar to what Paul is saying here. He's indebted by God to preach the gospel. He's been set apart by God for this very purpose. So he will not back down, no matter what the cause or no matter what the cost. That's why he says, says, says next, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. It was on the forefront of the Apostle Paul's mind to bring forth and preach the gospel fully, freely, faithfully, and fearlessly. He was tasked and felt the weight and obligation through the Holy Spirit to bring forth, forth the good news that brings great joy. And so now naturally, we get to our text today that Paul states next. The statement by Paul is a very powerful, in fact, we will get to this, but it is an extremely explosive statement. And he brings forth in this statement the very summed up version of what he is about to expound in his letter to the Romans. He's about to unveil and unravel this statement Perhaps the most theologically in-depth explanation of the gospel all throughout Scripture, the book of Romans. To quote John MacArthur on these verses, he says, quote, These two verses expresses the theme of the book of Romans, and they contain the most life-transforming truth God has put into men's hands. To understand and positively respond to this truth is to have one's time and eternity completely altered, end quote. These words summarize the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul then proceeds to unfold and explain throughout the remainder of his epistle. Today, we will look more deeply into this explosive statement with explosive power that brings forth explosive implications as a summarized the book of Romans. Please stand with me one last time as we read together the word of the living God. Romans 1.16, starting in verse 16 
This is the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and your gospel today, Lord, we pray that you give us spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear wonderful truths in the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. For those of us that have those of us that are in Christ, Lord, we just pray that you continue to sanctify us, Lord. And you give us courage in this message this morning to be able to proclaim your word as your servant Paul did. And for those of us that may not be in Christ today, may it be the power of God for salvation to all who would believe. May Christ be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our first heading this morning is the gospel unashamed. Our first observation of our text this morning is this very bold and resolute proclamation from the Apostle Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. We can understand that from the introduction in his letter to the Romans that Paul had not yet been to Rome to be with the church there, to pray with the saints, to preach the gospel. However, that did not mean that Paul was absent from evangelizing the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that he could be, and every place that the Lord had decreed for him to travel to preach the gospel of his son. He fully expresses these thoughts in his second letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 7, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought forth life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul explains vividly to his disciple Timothy this reason of his unashamed testimony of Jesus Christ and exhorts him, For God has not given us a spirit who is fearful or who is timid. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And then he reminds Timothy of the power of God's gospel, not according, to, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus, who abolished death, who brought forth life and immortality through the gospel. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ has the ability to abolish the sin of sinners, 
dead in his trespasses, and bring forth life and immortality, not by works, but by his own purpose and grace. This is the good news of the gospel. Paul knew it and had no reason to be ashamed of it. He said, join me in suffering for the gospel. Paul was aware of what he was and would endure for the sake of preaching the gospel to a sinful world who would beat him, who would stone him, and who would imprison him throughout his ministries and missions. And yet, he did not waver. He was not discouraged. He was not disheartened by, this, by these things. He had seen the foolish in Philippi, Thessalonica, in Athens, and in Corinth. And yet he proclaims that he was eager to preach the gospel in perhaps the pinnacle of pagan worship and worldliness at the time. The capital of the great empire of the Romans, Rome. And yet he could not wait. He said he was eager, he was willing, he was ready, he was excited to proclaim this message of Jesus Christ. Most of us, however, cannot relate to how Paul feels about sharing his fully unashamed testimony of the gospel. Last week, I taught through Psalm 119 and verses 161 to 168, and I shared a story about Kim and her family and Kim's testimony of her walk as a Christian in North Korea. Kim had defected to China and now lives in South Korea. And the article I read from ended with Kim saying, quote, I hope to go back to North Korea one day and share about Jesus. For those of you who weren't there, I shared that according to Christianity Today in an article put out of January of this year uh, that shows that North Korea ranked number one for, extreme, for the most extreme level of persecutions of Christians, number one in the entire world. And yet Kim shared that she longed to go back to North Korea. She longed to go back to the number one country of persecution, to a country that had killed and executed her father. She was eager to go back to it, to share the gospel of Jesus. Do you share in the same eagerness and excitement to unabashedly share the gospel to others? Let's consider this for a second. And let's narrow in our focus. Before we get to the macro, we have to deal with the micro. Before we can think of evangelizing out to the lost out in the streets or in prison or in other countries of the world who don't know or have not heard the gospel, we have to narrow in and think about those who are around us the most. And isn't it true that we find it hard to share the gospel with those who are closest to us, to our coworkers, because we may be afraid of fear of how someone would receive it and how it may affect maybe our chances of promotion or a favor, or maybe we're afraid of getting into trouble by sharing the gospel or causing an awkward work environment. We're afraid to share with our neighbors because we don't want, to be, we don't want it to be awkward since we live next door to these people. We don't want to make anyone feel out of place. After all, we live next door to them. 
And maybe we're afraid of how those who live in close proximity to us would feel about us. But it really has nothing to do with them and everything to do with us. We don't share it with our friends because we fear to lose friendships that we have and we want people to like us. We, we don't want to be seen as pushy Christians who always talk about God. We, we don't want to speak the truth in love and tell our friends that they're leading a life of unrepentant sin and what it will cost them if they don't turn and flee and run to the cross. And lastly, and probably most sadly, we don't share the gospel with our family because we think of by telling them the gospel that they, they may hate us, that, that we could divide our family, that we would be frowned upon as a divisive Christian to, tho- to those whom we seek love and approval from the most. However, that cannot be, and there cannot be anything more loving than sharing the good news of the gospel to our coworkers, to our friends, to our families, to our neighbors, to the loss. There cannot be better news than what Paul tells Timothy, that there is a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ, and he abolished death and brought forth life and immortality through the light of the gospel. In a multi-generational survey of evangelism that conducted a poll of over 2,500 responses in evangelical Christians that put out these statistics, and they're quite alarming. And one question asked in the survey, the question was asked, what prevents people from sharing their faith? What prevents people from sharing their faith? This graph showed that the biggest percentage at 22% of evangelical Christians say that it was fear, that it was caused by fear. And out of the totality of this list, almost 48% of evangelical Christians say that they don't share the gospel to others. That's almost half of professing Christians. Others, other reasons on this list were rejection, rejection from the gospel, that was at 9%. Hostility of the gospel towards others was at 8%. Being too shy or ill-equipped to share the gospel was 4%. Inappropriate, the gospel being inappropriate to others came in at 4%. The gospel being hard to uh, bring up in conversations was at 4%. Being The gospel being too pushy or we, we being seen as being too pushy came in at 4%. And the gospel message being offensive came in also at 4%. And yet Paul reminds Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Do you know what that word means in the original Greek, and which is in some of your translations? Fear. It means fear or cowardice. And it's the number one reason Christians are prevented from sharing their faith. And we see why Paul wrote that. John MacArthur puts it this way, quote, Although every true believer knows it is a serious sin to be ashamed of his Savior and Lord, he also knows the difficulty of avoiding that sin. When we have opportunity to speak of Christ, 
we often do not. We know the gospel is unattractive, intimidating, and repulsive to the natural unsaved person and to the ungodly spiritual system that now dominates the world. The gospel exposes man's sin, wickedness, depravity, and looseness, and it declares to be despicable and works righteousness to be worthless in God's sight. To the sinful heart of unbelievers, the gospel does not appear to be good news, but bad news. And when they first hear it, they often react with disdain against the one presenting it or throw out arguments and theories against it. For that reason, fear of men and of not being able to handle their arguments is doubtlessly the single greatest snare in witnessing." Church, we cannot be held back by fear of what others may think of us or what God has spoken in his revealed word. We often think when we witness of Christ and share the gospel that the tension that lies, that the tension that lies is between us and the other person, but that should never be the case. Our only job is to share the truth of the gospel with the lost clearly and concisely. And then allow the living and active words of God to do, the, to do the work in that person's heart. The gospel is tension in a prideful sinner living in a sinful world. However, you do, you do not and should not carry the weight of that tension. It is not our responsibility as Christians to worry about how someone might take it or, or to try to be the one to try to do the work in that person's heart. We often get caught up in that. Oh, we want to be the ones to work in this person's heart. But we can't do those things. The work is only done in God's word and through the Holy Spirit. Our job as Christians is to be equipped in the word so that we may witness of the gospel to the lost. The Apostle Paul now gives us three reasons to not be ashamed of the gospel Let's take a look at our text. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God. First reason Paul is not ashamed, he gives it to you. For it is the power of God. Our second heading this morning, the gospel power. The gospel contains the omnipotence of God. The word omnipotence in theology, it's a fancy word used to describe an attribute or what theologians call a perfection of God. It's used a better term than attribute, a perfection of God. It describes his ability, God's ability to do anything consistent with his nature. I'll say that again. It describes God's perfection and ability to, uh, to do anything consistent with his nature. He is creator and sustainer of all things. God chose out of his own good and perfect will, and God has chosen in eternity past to use his gospel to display his power. Only the gospel has the power of God to transform lives. Only God's power can save people from sin and give them eternal life. In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote of this power of the gospel. Pastor Matt walked us through this probably about a month ago, but let us be reminded In this text in verse 18 in chapter 1, Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those of us who are called, both Greeks and Jews, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the power which Paul is speaking of here. The power of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it is folly or foolish, or where the word moronic comes from to those who are perishing. But to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word power here in the Greek is the word dynamite. It gives the sense of something explosive and powerful that gives much might. And the gospel is silly and ridiculous to the prideful, arrogant man. But to us, those who are called to the cross, those who are drawn to Christ, it is indeed God's dynamite power to save us. And this is why Paul expresses here in the text, God's power in the gospel is saving power that produces everlasting life. Paul has not yet unfolded that in his letter to the Romans. That will come in chapter 3. But indeed, the gospel's message is a life-altering, mind-bending, countercultural display of God's saving power to change the very identity of who we are. The prophet Jeremiah gives us this example in chapter 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. This is a very strong visual analogy of the Lord saying here that if Ethiopian can change the color of his skin or the leopard's his spots, then we sinners who are used to doing good, uh, evil can, can change and do good. But it is impossible to do that. It is not possible for man to change his very nature, no more than he can change the color of his own skin. It is only through the power of God who can, who can change the very nature of who we are, a powerful, explosive transformation of conversion to the very depths of our soul and to the very fibers of our identity. This displays the power of God's gospel. Our third heading this morning, the gospel for salvation. We see the Apostle Paul here now using the word for a third time, now in this short sentence. And we see the intention of the movement of the text. Paul is stating first why he is unashamed. For I, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because of what it contains, the power of God. For it is the power of God. And now Paul gives us the third for. What is it for? For salvation. The gospel displays God's power to save sinners. There is a purpose to what God's power displays for us through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a plan that God had formed in eternity past, not a result of circumstances that God had to redirect his plans for the sake of man. This redemptive plan was secure before the foundations of the world and is revealed from God's word in Genesis 1 to Revelation. 
the psalmist writes in uh, Psalm 106, 8, Nevertheless, he saved them. Nevertheless, he saved them. For the sake of his name. Why? That he might make his power known. Despite man's rebellion and shortcomings, God saves sinners through the gospel. For the sake of his name. Why? That he might make his power known to all mankind. The word salvation means deliverance or to rescue. Paul is pointing out here that God's power and salvation rescues or delivers men from their sin, from the ultimate penalty of sin, which is death and judgment. Deliverance and rescue from sin can only be accomplished by one way, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, not one person, comes to the Father except through me. Any other work-based salvation cannot and will not deliver and rescue a sinner from his sin. It is a lie, church. It is a dead testimony that leads to a dead end. The power of God for salvation is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why Peter in Acts 4 verse 12, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, And there is salvation in no one else. Why? For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Forgiveness of sin, deliverance from sin and judgment, deliverance from God's wrath as we learned about last week, and what Paul is about to unfold next in his letter to the Romans. An eternal life is gained and lived by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is an understanding that nothing within us or that nothing that we can do can make us right standing in front of a holy God, but only what Jesus Christ did for us by taking the penalty for our sin on the cross, dying on the cross, raising three days later, signifying his accomplished work, and ascending into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, is the only thing that provides power and salvation. We cannot change our identities of who we are. And who are we? The Bible says, what does God's word say that we are? Born in iniquity, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We stand condemned, dead in our trespasses, but only by the grace and mercy of God. He changes our identity, our very nature and core. Those who are in Christ are now called children of God. Sons of obedience, co-heirs with Christ. Notice, this gospel call is not for only certain people to share with. The gospel call does not need to be met with a strict criteria or certain conditions to be shared. It is not to be kept for conditional circumstances that dictate who we are or who we should share the gospel with. Paul states clearly next that this gospel invitation is for all who believes. In cell psychology, we are taught that there is a certain type of psychology that goes along with people who buy from, who buy from uh, people they can associate with. People want to buy from people they like or they find a commonality with or a common understanding with. Salespeople are taught to mimic behaviors and agree with, with clients and customers to emulate their, their habits and their behaviors, or so to speak, uh, to be a mirror and to be reflective and reflections 
to their own selves. However, this can be a very dangerous way we go about sharing the gospel. We cannot just share the gospel with those who we are comfortable with, with those who, we, who think like us, with those who act like us, with those who we can see ourselves in or we can associate with and, and be the mirror of ourselves, whether that may be people, or people in, our, in similar age groups, people in similar walks, similar socioeconomic status, similar upbringings, we are to share the gospel to all. For the call of Christians is to, is to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is why Paul clearly states that he is under obligation to both Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. There is no discrimination to those who should be made as we preach the gospel and share God's word to the lost in the world. That is why later in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10, he says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on Him. Then in verse 14, Then how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So someone say, well, Josh, this speaks of those who preach the word as Paul speaks about here. This does not pertain to me. I don't get into the pulpit on Sundays and preach the word. But I would say to you, are we not all under obligation? Are we not all issued as Christians an imperative, a command from our Lord Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations? And if that is true, then how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Faith comes from hearing the gospel, which we are all tasked with to share, with and to anyone and everyone. So then, let us be intentional and prayerful of the Lord allowing and making opportunities for us to preach the gospel to those who we know, those who we love those who we see living a life of unrepentant sin, and also courage for those who we do not know and allow us to be forced out of our comfortable little bubbles and to share the good news of the gospel, to do it unashamedly. Why? Because of what we just spoke of in, in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God was well pleased. God is well pleased when we preach and share the gospel of his son. When we share the gospel, we make known the power of God to save. Isn't that what we just read in Psalm 106? Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name. Why? That he might make his power known. Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. The gospel reveals the power of God to save for the glory of God alone. This is why the Bible says that even faith, which is belief, is a gift from God. Why? So that no man may boast. This is God's gospel, and God gets and deserves the glory. To him forever and ever be glory, power, and dominion.
our last and final heading this morning is the gospel righteousness. Romans 1.17. Let's look at it. Last Paul's 4 for us in this text. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The Apostle Paul will go on to use this word righteousness in the book of Romans over 35 times. It is a major theme that Paul is about to unveil and flesh out. This righteousness that Paul speaks of, though, is not one of our own, but speaks of the imputed righteousness of Christ and His finished work on the cross. Paul doesn't make this righteousness a mystery to his audience. He explains it clearly in chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is no more work to be done. There's no more accomplishments that need to be done in salvation for sinners. It has been accomplished for us in the saving works of Christ Jesus by the exchange that was made on the cross. It is finished. We are made alive and have right standing in front of God through the imputed righteousness of Christ. No amount of works can save us. The Bible says that all of our righteous deeds, every single righteous deed you or, you or I have ever done and will ever do for the rest of our lives. It's like, it's, it's like a polluted garment. It's a filthy rag. It can never be cleaned enough. You can clean it and you can wash it and you can clean it and you can wash it and it would never be clean enough. We cannot achieve or earn salvation. It is based strictly on faith in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. We stand unrighteous without hope in achieving righteousness. So God sent His Son to live, die, and be raised so that we would have hope in the only one who could, in Jesus Christ. And so if you have come here today and you have not called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have heard and felt a, or sorry, you have felt a stirring in your heart, well then I beseech you to turn from your sin, to put your faith and trust in the only way, in the only truth, and in the only life. The Bible says to repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said that. And that today is the day of salvation. This call is an urgent call. There is no moment to spare. There is too much on the line. It is too costly a price to pay. And for those of us in Christ today, I pray that we walk unashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. To know that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. 
that we can leave here knowing we're tasked to preach the gospel to all because how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? May we be just as urgent to those who hear the gospel call and are called to repent and believe, to preach the gospel call so that God may, be used, may use you to draw his bride to himself. To Christ alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that there's, we come to, to the cross, to the foot of the cross, all the same, Lord, broken, needing a Savior, Lord, and that you gave him to us in Christ Jesus. We pray for the lost, Lord. We pray that you equipped us by your word, Lord, to go and preach boldly like your servant Paul, the good news that brings great joy, the transforming truth of your gospel that displays your power, that displays your power to save, that displays a gift of faith, that displays righteousness in your Son. I pray that that be in our minds and hearts this week as we encounter others. May that be family members, friends, neighbors, strangers, that there be no discrimination, that we have an opportunity to share the word of your Son, and thus some be saved. May Christ be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.